everybody. You are listening to the Fiscal Feminist Podcast, where we will be tackling real financial issues so women can eliminate fear and take charge of their lives. I am your host, Kimberly Davis, and I am the Fiscal Feminist. So let's get to it. Whatever that salary amount is that you want, say it out loud to yourself enough times that it doesn't sound crazy coming out of your mouth because it has to sound normal, right? Even if it was crazy to me, it was what was the right salary for that job. And they did lowball me. I want to say that too. When I got the initial offer, it was much lower than what I ended up getting because I pushed back and I knew I had had somebody help me prepare. So I knew how to handle that conversation. I didn't say, oh, my family needs more money or I really think I deserve. No, I didn't say anything like that. I said, based on the scope and scale of this position and what I understand the responsibilities to me, this is the salary number that's appropriate. And I I had prepared that speech and it worked. If you don't ask, you don't get. And it also can affect your livelihood. Look at how it has changed your life because you advocated for yourself. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our podcast today. Before we start, I just want to let everybody know that we are now launching the YouTube channel with video. So you will be able to actually watch this podcast if you so choose to. So check it out. It's at The Fiscal Feminist and you will actually see me and my esteemed guest for today, Shifta Khalili, who I have known for four years, and she has been very integral to my development as a fiscal feminist. So I'm very, very lucky to have this very accomplished lady in my life. And this is kind of a new format, so I'm I'm excited to launch it because I thought it would be really useful if people understood what, you know, my advice has done to help other people get to their end game and improve their financial situation. Nothing like, you know, real people who have real experiences using real advice. So that's what I'm trying to accomplish. I recently posted on Instagram, if anyone would like to be on my podcast and work through a financial problem, whether it's uh, something to do with personal finance or investment strategy or relationships and money or how to talk about money, I would love to have you on my podcast so that we could work through it together and come to some resolution and strategy by the end of the podcast. So it'd be like a consultation and a podcast all in one. So please check that out. It's in the link in my bio in Instagram. You can just go on there and you can sign up to do it. Tell me a little bit about yourself and we will get you on this podcast. So I would appreciate anybody checking that out. So welcome, Shifta. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Kim. I'm so excited to be here. So we met about four years ago, and it was at a very, um, probably at the beginning stages of me launching the Fiscal Feminist Platform. I was doing a small speaking engagement in Newport Beach, California, and it was in uh, association with SheVest, which is a an organization that's affiliated with the University of California at Irvine. It's an organization that helps women learn more about investing their money. And Shifta was in the audience that night and she asked a bunch of questions and then reached out to me and said, you know, I have some questions. I want to, you want to have a drink? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. At which time she promptly told me, you know, you've got to change your Instagram page, girl. (laughs) And you got to do this because this is her specialty, right? She knows a lot about, you know, marketing and branding and getting the message out in a really good way. And so she really helped me to 
have a good old look at how I was putting stuff out there and, you know, raise the bar. For that, I will be forever thankful to her because a lot of that stuff isn't my specialty. So thank you, Shifta, for giving me, for being uh, transparent and brutally honest because it was very helpful to me. So I'm going to let her explain how we started this relationship and my guidance in trying to help her accomplish her goals, which I might add, spoiler alert, she has done brilliantly. And I will just let her take it from here, but I can say that it all started with a Chanel handbag. (laughs) So Shifta, (laughs) how did we meet? And tell me a little bit about what you were trying to figure out at that point in your life. Sure. Yeah. So we met in 2019 and I had been working in my first sort of proper job that had benefits and retirements for maybe two years. So I had finished my graduate school and had been working and, you know, no one in my immediate family or circle of friends knew anything about investing. I'm a second generation immigrant. I'm a first generation college student. And so, you know, luckily my parents taught me a lot about saving and not using credit cards, you know, having an emergency fund but nobody had anything to teach me about investing. That just wasn't part of our you know, information. We were middle class, but I feel like that's not accessible. Even though I was really educated, this is a whole other area, very intimidating. So I signed up for that SheVest, which was such a blessing, mainly because I met you. Uh, and I went <laughs> to that first session. And I remember just being so inspired by your story and you know how you rebuilt your whole life after a messy divorce. And I just, I wanted to hear everything you said. And so I raised my hand and I asked a question about basically, when do I know I've invested enough money that I can buy a Chanel bag with my investment account? Like, when do I know that I have enough to go do stuff like that? Like basically something really frivolous that's amazing, but like, when do you know you have enough? And I'll never forget, you said, well, first of all, you don't use your investment account to buy a Chanel bag. If you want to buy a (laughs) Chanel bag, (laughs) you make an account in your bank, you name it Chanel, and you contribute $100 a month or however much every month until there's enough money in there, and then you go buy a Chanel bag. That's how you do that. And, And it was the most tangible advice that anyone had ever given me about basically how you make, you know, a purchase of that type that it's sort of like these arbitrary things like, oh, you know, you think oh, I have to have this amount of money before I can do that. But it's like, well, no, actually, you have to have a strategy, right, And in order to achieve it. And then after that, we started a series of conversations, which we can get into, that really helped me basically set myself up as I've moved forward in my career and gotten better jobs and made these different life changes that allowed me to do those much more intentional and strategically. That was really key, is that I wasn't just going through the motions, hoping it was all going to work out. That's not right. Me. That's not how it works. It doesn't just work out. You have to set a strategy and then follow it. And I think one of the things that, like, when you asked me that question, I didn't want to weigh in and say, well, you shouldn't buy a Chanel bag because that's super expensive. And, you know, why would anybody waste all that money on a Chanel bag? Well, first of all, I am no stranger to loving a handbag and a pair of shoes. Okay, so I get it. What I want everyone to understand, and I, and I think that you and I have had a lot of conversations about this, is it we should all be aspirational, right? We all have those things that we want, that we want to do. And money is a means to an end. I'm not saying you should spend all your money. 
you need to save some of it. You need to worry about retirement. You need to worry about the emergencies, but you also need to live your life and enjoy life because every single day is precious. So I want people to think about the money journey as how can I accomplish those aspirational things that I want to do, whether it's buy a Chanel handbag or, you know, go to Alaska or whatever it is, it's on your thing, you know, that thing that's going to really like bring you up and love life because you have the opportunity to do it. And so at that point, I was like, I had, a, I had to take a beat because I thought, well, I don't want to be wagging my finger saying, you know, you shouldn't be buying a Chanel bag. But how can you buy a Chanel bag? What is the best and most efficient route from not having one to having one, given your facts and circumstances? And I think that was also eye-opening for me because I was, again, at the beginning of this program. And, you know, when you're an investment advisor like I am, you know, you're a linear thinker about many of these things, you know, invest your money in a brokerage account for your taxable account, have your retirement savings, emergency fund, and everything is like very packaged and in buckets and it doesn't really often incorporate people's real lives. So it was really, really a great question. And honestly, we've become great friends and it was a perfect and wonderful moment in life when, you know, two people come together and you're like, yeah, I'm going to know this person until the day I die. So, okay. So what did you do next? You had, give me a little picture in the audience of where you were as far as your job, your 401k savings, kind of like how you were handling your finances. Did you have a budget? Like, where were you at that point? We're going to call that ground zero. So ground zero. So like I said, I already had an emergency fund and I didn't have any debt. So that I think is really important to say. And, and how did you know to have an emergency fund? How did you know that? already? Well, my, my parents were immigrants from Iran. And I think honestly, I they they knew enough about how to protect their money. And they were never going to invest because there's risk associated with that. You know, if you have limited money, you're not going to do things like that, right? But they knew enough about saving and cash. In fact, I think they probably saved a little too much in cash now that I reflect back. But probably. how would they have known any better, right? And, and I wanted to take what I learned from them and go to the next level, right? About okay, now how do I maximize and optimize? I didn't still have enough income to really make a significant impact, right, in a big brokerage account. But I I had access and and I had a lot of questions. And so I remember you were so kind to say, hey, like, let's get a glass of wine. You know, I'm happy to help you. And I printed out every bank statement I had and every document I could bring. And I put it all in front of you. And I basically followed your guidance like gospel because I was like, okay, this, I have this access right now to this woman who's helping people who have hundreds of millions of dollars. Like if I listen to her now with my tiny little amount of money, it will help me grow to this place that, you know, I had listened to a lot of podcasts, Kim, you know, it's, I was, I had, was trying to get into this. I listened to Dave Ramsey and I just, that kind of stuff never resonated with me because I'm like, I don't want to drive a used car. I don't, I don't want to you know, not get Starbucks like that. That wasn't that's not enjoyable for me. But that doesn't mean that you can't be successful and have savings and enjoy your life. Have a a decent car and have a Starbucks once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. So so anyway, so we met and, you know, I tried to increase my my retirement just by a little bit, but I just really didn't have a lot of extra income. But the key the key moment happened about nine months later after I had met you. I got a new job and it was like a 35% increase in my salary or something like that. Which is amazing. That's a large increase. Yeah. Yeah. It was a large increase and I knew it was a big deal. And But thank God I knew you because I called you and I said, 
hey, I got this new job. I could really use some advice basically on what do I do with my money before it even started. So we got together and you basically said before you ever feel that money, you have to maximize your investment in your retirement account before you ever feel it. Because once you feel it, you're going to want it. It's over. Once you, the more money you have available to you, and I mean, unless you're really, unless you have that money personality that is like a real saver and you're so analytical about it, once you feel money and hey, I'm a poster child for this, you will spend it unless you have a game plan before you even know that you have it. You have to pretend that it doesn't exist. And then once you get everything sorted out, maxing on your 401k, having some automated investments or savings, then you can take what's ever left over and go have some fun. Ignorance is not bliss. As women, burying our heads in the sand when it comes to our money has dire consequences. But yet, so many of us have employed this detrimental strategy. After over two decades of experience, I've discovered that women face a twofold crisis of competence and confidence regarding how they approach and handle finances. It's time to close that gap. I wrote The Fiscal Feminist, a financial wake-up call for women to teach women how to take charge of their money and control their financial destinies. This book will help you achieve financial literacy, establish the right tools and rules for managing your money and relationships, and to plan for your future. It's time to gain and maintain financial wellness on your own terms. Head to FiscalFeminist.com to order your copy today. Before you got the promotion, what did we do? Because I think you started actually doing an automated kind of deposit, very small, to your investment account. And I believe you were at Vanguard at that point. I was, yeah, that's right. So I had a, uh, set up a Roth IRA at that time. I had done that before I worked at the university, just because some friend of mine had did it, not for any real reason that I knew was the right thing to do. But yeah, you know, you told me at that time, okay, you need to be contributing monthly to this or try to max it out because at some point you're going to get, you know, you're not going to be able to have this account anymore once your income gets too high. And so, you know, I understood from then like, okay, so at the beginning of every month from back then, I was investing a little bit into my retirement, $100 into my Chanel account. And then right, right, because you you did start the Chanel account in your bank before you got the promotion, not knowing you were going to get the promotion. And you were like, okay, I'm going to get the Chanel bag. And I'm going to just, you know, when it gets to that magic number, which I think is probably around $7,000 with taxes, Bada bing, bada boom. I'm going to be wearing that Chanel handbag and I won't have a debt hanging over my head. I can walk around and say, I own this baby. Yeah. So you actually took steps before you got this amazing promotion. So I just want everyone to know, she didn't know she was getting a promotion and she started to take steps within the purview of what her parameters were at that moment. And that's exactly what everyone should do. Like, you know, we're all not going to make bazillions of dollars. So we have to work with what we have. But even... You know, people who make less sometimes actually save more and can accomplish more than people who make more because people who make more often just spend every amount of money, you know, every cent they get. And you know this, you hear this about movie stars and people who make so much money and then all of a sudden they're filing for bankruptcy because they had like, they didn't have a clue. Okay, so now you get this amazing career bump up, this promotion, which 
Wow. I think we all have to applaud you for getting <laughs> a promotion with a 35% increase. Woo-hoo. So after you finished celebrating, then what happened? So literally before I got my first paycheck, I made this change. So there was a maxing out of the 403B that I have access to. I maxed it out. So I maybe I had been contributing 500 before and then it went to whatever, 1800 or whatever the maximum All right, Because that's about, uh, maybe at the time it was like $20,000 a year. Right. I think I still, my salary, my take home went up by a few hundred dollars. I mean, I still got a little perk, right? And then I still continued. I still continued contributing to my emergency fund, to my Chanel account, to my brokerage, just a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. But the main change was that 403B increase. So that's now three, almost four years ago that I made that change. And then, you know, another two years went by and I got another promotion, a salary increase. And then we met again and you said, okay, now you already have maxed that one out. Now you need to contribute more money to your brokerage account. And so then I did that. And so then it got up to, you know, whatever X hundred dollars. And then what basically the way that I've done my life is I have a budget, a rough budget, right? But at the beginning of every month, before my paycheck even comes to me, the retirement is pulled out, right? The day right. it comes in, there's a bunch of automations that happen. I automatically pay all my bills. So my mortgage, my car payment, whatever. From Within the first five days of the month, all this stuff happens. I automatically contribute to my brokerage account, to my savings account, to my Chanel account. And and then I basically live my life. And then I, I the only thing I do then is I pay my credit card week to week. I monitor that very closely because... I don't, you know, I want to be able to make sure I treat it more like a debit card, right? I, right. I, I want the points and all that, but, but yeah, and that's, and that's how I do it. So I travel, we book tickets, we go places, you know, and I'm enjoying my life. I'm going out for dinner. I'm going, I'm get out, getting coffee, whatever it is. But I know now that all these other things are just happening. It's all happening in the background because we set up these strategies. So now I don't have to worry about it. It's working, but I know that if I get another new job, before I ever feel it, I'm first I'm going to make a decision about what's going to happen with that money. What am I going to do? What are we trying to achieve? And then, then I'll go forward, right? And I think your strategy, I mean, I know it's not for everybody, but I know for me, it is, I'm very similar to you with this credit card thing, because as everyone who's ever listened to this podcast knows, I've had, you know, multiple experiences with burgeoning credit card debt, whether it's through the divorce or post-divorce, whatever. And, you know, that becomes habitual. So I need to check my balances every couple of weeks and make payments because I never want things to get ahead of me. And I know that it is so easy to like, at the end of the month, look at your credit card bill and say, OMG, like, what the heck did I do this month? Because I'm not keeping track, right? Because it's not like real money. It's almost like you buy it, but then you never feel the consequences of it unless you look at your bill. So it's really easy to let that stuff slide. And I know I bang on about that a lot, but that is a game changer. So I think what Chief does strategy of kind of looking at it like a debit card. And as soon as you buy something, you just go back home and pay for it. And and then it's done and you don't have to think about it anymore. But I think what I'm hearing and I hope what I was able to convey is that when I met Shifta, she had a general knowledge and was doing kind of all the right things, but it wasn't intentional. And she wasn't like really di- doing a deep dive into her finances or just even a strategy or just knowledge of, 
what's coming in, what's going out, what's going to retirement, what's going here. And I think it's as simple as this. When you have intentionality with this and you just take a few steps at the beginning, like she did to understand her money, what's coming in, what is she contributing to her 403B, you know, where were we at ground zero and how can I make this as easy as possible within what I have to work with to make things happen. So just by setting up automated deposits, it's changed your life. That's so simple to do. All you needed to do was figure out how much could you afford from your budget so you could still live the life that you wanted, have those Starbucks, have a car, you know, a newer car, so on and so forth, and still have those automated deposits, which have grown over time. But you at least started. And starting is like the first thing you've got to do. Once you do it and you have all your infrastructure in place, this thing takes on a life of its own. And and it's just it's just growing in the background. So I think what I would love for people to take away from this is that what you learned was you don't have to sit there every month and like review everything with a mic, you know, with a magnifying glass and say, oh, you know, you've got this set up. It's just percolating. It's just moving along. And I think that's one of the, you know, the, the best ways to do this because then it's not onerous and you also feel good. Because now when you look at your brokerage statement or you look at your 403B uh, statement or you look at your bank account, how do you feel? Yeah, I feel great. And and I think it's funny because it's kind of boring, right? The way these little strategies, these things that we did were, it was sort of a set it and forget it. We, we you know, I, I had to think about it. I had to make some decisions, but it wasn't like, oh, I, you, you didn't have a huge windfall, but suddenly now it's been four and a half years that I've been in this job or however long it's been. And I suddenly have a like this substantial retirement account because of these changes over time, right? It was sort of it re- you can really see the curve. I mean, it went up exponentially after I made each of these changes. And now that's going to be a game changer in 20 years from now, right? I'm only 39. <laughs> it will be right? a massive game changer for you and you will be so your 65-year-old self is going to be so thanking your 30-something-year-old self. You're going to be like, wow, I was a rock star when I was in my 30s. I want to ask you, too, with your job progression, just because you have had a lot of brilliant things happen to you, was there personal advocacy involved in this? Was it just job performance? I think a lot of our listeners might say, well, huh? how do I accomplish that um, on the job front? Because it is pretty spectacular how you've been progressing over the years. Yeah. I mean, I think in in a similar way, like this money conversation, those things don't just happen automatically, right? I, I am constantly, I say, you know, we just, I stay ready. So I'm constantly, you know, if I meet somebody new, I try to go have a coffee with them. I try to learn more. I try to surround myself with people that are smarter than me, that are further along in their careers, because that's the only way I'm going to learn and I'm going to grow, right? And yeah, and when I saw an opportunity to push, you know, to apply for another job, it was because I had women who had been mentoring me and helping me, guiding me, including you, to tell me, hey, yeah, go for it. Listen, you have to. And and I think it's, it's you know, people stay a little bit too long often in their jobs because they just don't know what to do next, right? But there's always something you can do. It's it's not like all or nothing. The same thing we're talking about with savings, right? Is that you can go be meeting people, you can be learning, you can do a certificate, you can whatever in the meantime until an opportunity emerges. But but yeah, I was very intentional in my career strategy. So you saw this job, it was like posted within the UCI system or? Different jobs. So yeah. Okay. 
yeah. So I, I saw it and, you know, somebody basically gave me some guidance and, and I, I thought I wasn't qualified. And she, she said, well, why not? You know, you should go for it and see what happened. And, and, you know, and that's been really interesting also, Kim, because in that, in this job, I'm pretty much the youngest person in the room. I'm often the only woman. I'm definitely the only woman of color most of the time. And that's very intimidating and very difficult, right? I mean, the imposter syndrome and the experience of, but I think, it's the only way is to keep pushing and to try to be in these spaces and provide that education. And I think what you do that's so important is that you have provided this knowledge and giving access to women. And, and I feel like I'm trying to do that in another way, right? It's sort of shining right. a light is like, let me just show you what I did. You don't have to figure it all out by yourself. Like, look, I, this will work. Just do this little thing it's okay that you don't understand exactly what an index fund is, but I'm telling you this is going to work. So, and the risk is low, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it's like, we need those people that we can trust and believe in that will give us that guidance just to get to the next step, right? Until we're ready for more guidance. Cause it's quite intimidating to try to take it all in at once, right? Yes. Or, yes. Uh, I mean, it's a lot, it's a lot, whether it's the career uh, choices you make, investment, savings. A lot of people are, a lot of women are single moms. They've got that whole thing to deal with in addition to all these other options and things in their life they've got to, you know, contend with. And that's it. I mean, I always hope that if someone gets like one little nugget of information from whatever I'm doing to help them move along, then that makes it all worthwhile. But one thing I want to really accentuate here is that you were proactive. You applied for a job that you thought you weren't qualified for, but once you got in there and you showed your stuff and you said your piece, you were qualified and you got the job. That's the thing. We tend to like make ourselves smaller or we're afraid of rejection. And, you know, what was the worst that could have happened? You wouldn't have gotten the job. So what, you know, um, you would still had your other job. So we have to take these chances, but more importantly, we have to be proactive. Like if you're at a company that has job postings, you should be monitoring that all the time to see if you can find a promotion. You need to find some mentors within your company. You had some women that you could speak to, whether they're women or men, we all need to have a mentor, but it's up to us to be proactive, to go to somebody and say, hey, can you have a coffee with me? And like, just talk to me a little bit about the job or about what you would do for, you know, the next move and so on and so forth. So it's really up to us for to, to make those things happen and not wait for like somebody to kind of, you know, knock at your door and say, oh, I have this opportunity for you. I mean, it doesn't generally work that way. And I think that is the beauty of what I saw with you. Like you were taking charge of your personal finances. Even if it was, you know, only $100 a month, you were doing it. I, I would have said start with $25 a month if that's all you had. Because it's not the amount, it's the action. These are developing habits that when you do have way more money down the road that are already instilled in you and will make you, a, you know, increase your net worth at a much faster clip than if you didn't have those habits. So if you have $25 to save every month, then save that $25. And before you know, it, it'll be 50 and so on and so forth. But also take a, you know, a page out of Shifta's book with your, with your career. You need to go and look and see what else is available to me. How can I make my next move to go up the ladder or do a job that I might find more fulfilling or challenging? 
So, you know, kudos to you on that, because what you've done over the past few years is, I think, quite amazing. And it came from your own steam. No one came and knocked at your door and said, hey, Shifta, you should, you know, apply for this job that's going to give you a 35% increase. And I'm sure you felt a little nervous about it all, but um, yeah. but you did it, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think, you know, the key was that I had built a, a, a support system of people. Like I had one woman help me negotiate for my job because she said, you have to say the salary number out loud enough times that it doesn't sound crazy coming out of your mouth. Like, be prepared. Can you can you say that again, please? Because that is the most important information that we're going to be talking about almost in this in this entire podcast is when women want to negotiate, they often don't and they feel very awkward. And then they say a number and they're like, oh, that sounds like a lot. Can you say what that woman said again to you? Because that is so important. It has to become like second nature. Yeah, she said... Whatever that salary amount is that you want, say it out loud to yourself enough times that it doesn't sound crazy coming out of your mouth because it has to sound normal, right? Even if it was crazy to me, it was what was the right salary for that job. And they did lowball me. I want to say that too. When I got the initial offer, it was much lower than what I ended up getting because I pushed back and I knew I had had somebody help me prepare. So I knew how to handle that conversation. I didn't say, oh, my family needs more money or I really think I deserve. No, I didn't say anything like that. I said, based on the scope and scale of this position and what I understand the responsibilities to me, this is the salary number that's appropriate from what I, whatever, whatever. And I, I had prepared that speech and, and it worked. You know, it doesn't always work, but well, and, and it has a good work, right? Because salary transparency is something we've talked about on this podcast a lot. And, you know, it's still not quite very transparent because the, the Senate won't pass it. But you can find out information in certain states. You can look at Glassdoor. You can talk to your colleagues like you did who are in the system and are mentoring you. And you, if you don't ask, you don't get. And it also, you know, can affect your livelihood. Look at how it has changed your life because you advocated for yourself. And I am just, and you talked about, hey, this is what the salary is for this job. And you're not going to lowball me just because I'm a lady. I'm a woman. You know, it's, it's complete bullshit. So pardon my French guys. But all I can say is having mentors within your organization help you with this was paramount. So remember this, guys, when you're in an organization, forging those relationships, getting those mentors, that's going to help you throughout your whole career and just pay you back and you'll reap many, many benefits from that. I mean, you played your cards really, really well, I think, both in the personal finance space and investment space and then also in your career. Honestly, Shifta is a real fiscal feminist. Uh, she is she is part of the sisterhood and she's walking the walk and talking the talk. Now, I we're running out of time, but I, I really want to talk about the next stage of your life because now some more exciting things are happening. You just got engaged and you will be getting married to the lovely Ray. So, you know, I talk a lot about all this stuff, relationships and money, pre-marital planning. So what's your game plan? Yeah. So we recently got engaged, um, but probably like the second month we were dating, I already said, we're going to have a prenup. I mean, I, I, I said it <laughs> because I've been together maybe two and a half years. So he's in a post-Kim era, obviously. Um, there, 
there was no way I could ever be in a relationship with someone and that we were never going to have a prenup because you would have um, disowned me. So I, and I knew whatever the reason was, even if I hadn't accumulated very much, that it's just important that you go into a situation with, you know, intentionality and it's all going to work out hopefully. And it'll all be wonderful, but I would rather have that sorted out now. So then just in case something comes up later in the future, it's not something that's going to, you know, ruin my whole life. Right. It's, it's already going to be difficult enough as you explained about. Right. Exactly. Right? Through divorce, as, as long, at least you're, you'll be able to be on your own financial footing afterwards should something happen. So, so yes, we've already talked about that. We've been starting to have conversations about how a house account or how are we going to do it? And, you know, mingling, how are you going to commingle your money? Yeah. And, you know, the other thing, Kim, that I really wish more women and men had training on is that having these conversations is not easy. Thankfully, my fiance is very open and willing to have these kind of uncomfortable conversations to say, well, what are your expectations about finance and how we split bills or this or that? Or how do you feel about what are our shared savings goals? And but, you know, the, there's not a lot of tools out there for this. There's a lot more, t- yeah. you know, and I think we all really need those because I don't want to be arguing about you spent this much on the credit card. Like that doesn't seem like something that's going to that I want in my future. So now is the time I need to ha- we need to have these conversations. Right. Everyone is raised differently. He was raised in a different sort of set of financial information than me. And we have to come to a middle ground about how are we going to work, use credit cards together? How are we going to, you know, save, et cetera. And did you, have you spoken about what property will remain separate? Yeah. So basically everything before we go in is, is our own. And then we're going to start, we'll have our own shared savings. We'll have a shared account for um, our bills and, and whatever. And then, and then, so Spoiler alert, I never bought a Chanel bag, actually. I think it's important for me to say, I never actually bought the Chanel bag. My advice to her was buy an Yves Saint Laurent one for 3K, and it will be cheaper than the 7K on the Chanel, and it'll look awesome. Just saying. (laughs) I did did buy that bag. But no, so that account now, Ray and I actually use it together. It's just called the Fun Fund, and he contributes to it too. So every paycheck, we both contribute to this account. And we went on a cruise to Alaska with the, the money and now it's back to zero and we're rebuilding again to do other fun, you know, anytime we, we bought Beyonce tickets with it or whatever, because it's just on the side. It's just right. for frivolous enjoyment. So yeah, so the Chanel account still stands symbolically. It doesn't have the same name anymore. It, <laughs> it's moved on to bigger and better things. Yeah, but. Yeah. Yeah. So when, when you um, started talking to each other about this stuff, over time, has it become easier yeah, I think once you start the process over time, then it becomes just like anything else you discuss in your life. You know, whether it's, are we going to put an addition on our house or are we going to go out to dinner tonight? Because it's just like part of your habitual, hey, you know, let's talk about finances and it doesn't have to be awful. And do you guys actually have different money personalities? Yeah, we do. And I think it was important to ask more questions about what did you learn about credit cards growing up? How did your family members, you know, what did you learn about saving? What did you learn about this? And Ray has a, as a son that's, you know, he might become my stepson. He's 10 years old. And now we're having conversations about, are there financial flashcards for kids? Because we want to make sure that this young man becomes an adult that understands how to do this, right? So that he doesn't have to 
have some of the struggles that Ray has shared with me about, you know, credit cards and things that he didn't learn young enough. And I'm thankful that my parents raised me the way that they did. And, you know, we had all kinds of savings, little strategies where my mom never let me spend. If I had a $5 bill, we always saved it. It was just like a funny game that we played. Like a $5 bill goes into the envelope. If you have a 10, a one, a 20, go do whatever you want with it. But if you got change and there was a five, you would put it away. You know, my, my dad made me save for like four years. He was going to buy me a car and, you know, save the money. He would give me $50 a month. By the time I was 16, there was maybe a, $1,500 in it. I'm like, this is never going to be enough, you know, but it was just about that process. In the end, he took me and he had already secretly saved, you know, $11,000 for me. And he bought me this <laughs> Nissan Sentra, this old used car, but he'd spent two years on this journey training me. And I feel like there's things that we can do, you know, even with kids to help them understand how you save, don't spend all the money in your account. And that's a lot of what Ray and I talk about now, because it's like, we want to make sure that this is such a critical education that everybody needs to have because this is freedom. I mean, if you don't have this education, you're sort of trapped. You're just by- a slit. You're a, just a constantly controlled by your money and you're not controlling your money. That's right. And it is debilitating. And I mean, you know, not to go off on a tangent, but only three states in the country have financial literacy as a requirement in high school. That's three states, not many. And I think now they have certain debit cards and things for children and maybe, you know, starting a savings account, the debit accounts or checking account, the debit account is linked to and kids understanding, like, if you only have this amount of money, you can't buy that and the concept of saving. But it does come down to the parents. And I think people are just so busy trying to get through the day sometimes. They don't have time to really impart this information to their children. I know I was very remiss in doing that. And I think my kids learned a lot seeing me go through my divorce. So they got uh, education by fire because they were also kind of suffering through some of the stuff I was in real time. But that is an appropriate way to educate your kids. So I agree with you. And so also, you must be having some conversations about the expenses towards Ray's son and how he's going to get the college education. So these are the kinds of things, if you talk about now, when it happens 10 years from now, There is not going to be this big, you know, like explosion. Well, I didn't know that or I didn't agree to this. And and also, even if you don't even make any hard and fast decisions immediately on that score, at least you started the conversation. And it's not like it's not judgmental. Like he had a different upbringing than you did. It wasn't it wasn't that his parents were bad. It was just like some people just do not have the financial knowledge. Most people don't. The fact that most people only have have less than $450 in their emergency savings accounts in this, in this country says that actually you are in the minority and he is in the majority. But I think all of this stuff that you and I have been talking about over the years has benefited you. And I think this next stage, and I see it with my daughter as well, who just recently got married, is they had a, a system about commingling. They have a system about uh, one credit card that's shared, and they each keep their own credit running as well. How they do their trips, like you guys, it just keeps things like they don't have to fight about money now. That's right. Yeah, and it's the same thing, right? Ray and I have we already have systems. We don't live together yet, but we we already have systems on how we save things or how we do trips. And yeah, the first time it's not it doesn't have to be awkward, but it's like 
hey, can we just talk a little bit about how you feel like this, the right way to handle this is so that we can make a decision about it. And, and then now we have a system and now it just carries on. Right. And I think that's the same thing is it's, it ha- there has to be intentionality in that also. Right. Is that, you know, I have to make certain adjustments, Ray makes certain adjustments and then, and then that's it. And then we carry on until there's an, another point. Okay. Something has changed, right? Oh, he's going to get a better job. Okay. Then what are we going to do then? What, you know, whatever. And I think the same thing with, like I did with my own finances, there are these milestone moments where you're like, okay, I have to stop for a second, go to a coffee shop with my laptop, sit and spend an hour thinking about this. Right. It, and then I carry on again. It's not like every day I'm reading new article. I don't, that's no one has time no. for that. Right. It's no like, one has time for that. But if you never sit down and you don't start, you know, now we're four and a half years later, I'm in a completely different situation than I, when I was, when I first met yeah. you. And if I had not had had those series of conversations and made those changes, I could have easily just had a more expensive car and been blowing my money. And I would not have had all of this retirement fund and whatever, like that could have very easily happened. Right. And also like you're going into your marriage with your personal infrastructure set up. So there's not like this turmoil where one person's a mess and, you know, and and then you have to say, well, how are we going to fix this person's situation before we get married? So I think like, that's the thing, you know, back then we didn't know you were going to meet Ray and be get married in four years. Um, But, you know, you've really just taken each step within the parameters of what you had to work with and made, you know, lemonade out of lemons and you did a grand job of it. And that's all you have to do, you know, guys, is if look at what your situation is, look at what you can possibly do to save a little bit more or have automated savings, even if it's only $25 a month to get rid of your credit card debt so that you can start moving ahead in your own realm. And then if you want to commingle at a later time with someone that you meet, you have your act together and you can help them, you know, maybe get their act together. And so you have a nice, calm relationship. And one of the things I think that you are talking about that I think is so important is that you are recognizing that you and Ray are both stakeholders and that you have to negotiate and compromise. It's like any other thing in life. It's like a job. It's like even in personal relationships, no one's going to, you know, be heavy handed about it. I don't care who makes more money. You're both stakeholders and it has to be best for both of you and you both have to compromise. And I, when I talk about people talking about money, and also getting prenups. It's not because I want someone to take a more strident approach and overwhelm the other person. This is for both people to feel comfortable. Same thing like in this, the prenup with my daughter where we put the formula about how you get compensated if you stay home with children, whether part-time or full-time. It may be her, it may be Sam, I don't know. But whoever does it is going to get the benefit of that formula. So it's about both people. It's not one person taking, you know, a kind of heavy hand. And I think it sounds like that's what you and Ray have been doing. Yeah, very much so. And, you know, I'm so grateful to to have him because, you know, I didn't know we were going to get married when I told, but I, but I blurted it out in the second month just in case, right? Yeah, listen. Just in case we do. Just in case, right? And so literally we got engaged and I think within a month he was like, I, I think I was going to come and have a coffee with you. And he's like, I know, I know you're going to go talk to Kim about the prenup. I said, yeah, <laughs> but it was, it's just very funny because it's not, there's no judgment on it. It doesn't mean anything. It's not like, oh my gosh, you know, and I think we really, we need to continue to shift the, 
the perspective about things like that, having these conversations, right? Ray and I go out and, you know, my friend told me her and her husband go out and they have money meetings and they do it outside the house. Yeah. Have fun with it. Have, you know, don't get too drunk, but have a glass of wine and have nice food and have a money meeting. It's a board of directors meeting. Yeah, exactly. Right. That him and I are basically business partners. And why would you not sit with your business partner and talk about the way you're going to have investments and savings and expenses and make sure it all makes sense. And then you just carry on. Right. It doesn't have to be in all the time. But if you don't have the conversation at the beginning, you're going to end up having all kinds of more difficult. It's the all the time argument because you don't agree. And yeah. And and you're going to fight about every little thing and it's going to happen weekly. And it's just a it's a complete horror story because that was the that is the story of my first marriage. Obviously I've gone into my second marriage in a completely different fashion and you know money was discussed and sorted out and organized and we're a team. And this makes your relationship stronger, right? It it's just so important. And I know there are people out there, I you know, out in the financial influencer world that say, you know, if you get married, you should commingle everything immediately because, you know, I think this is very misguided advice, regardless of your your religion or state of mind. Having this discussion with money does not in any way diminish the love that you have for a person or your commitment to them on an emotional, spiritual, you know, level. Uh, It just doesn't. It actually, I think, shows that the relationship is strong and can confront real-time, everyday situations. And whether we like it or not, money is part of that. It just is the, the, you know, it just the thing that makes the wheel go round unless you're you know, both independently wealthy and never have to work. And those people are few and far between. And then they'll fight about something else because when you don't have a purpose and you don't have to work, then you have too much time on your hands to worry about other stuff. So I want to say one thing. I think that, first of all, Shifta is my fiscal feminist example. I have been so blessed for her to be in my life, one, because I cleaned up my act with my platform and how I did my social media and everything because of Shifta. And also, I have loved working with her and seeing her flourish. And I think she is a real example that everything is possible if you have intentionality and you don't leave it to chance. It's not like people, like, yeah, people say it's a little bit of luck too, but Mainly, it's not. It mainly, it's about intentionality and making these opportunities happen for you. So I want to thank you, Shifta, for giving me the opportunity to work with you and just be just so pleased to see where you're at today because it just brings me immense joy. And even if, you know, no one else listens to me, at least I know one person has benefited immensely from whatever it is I'm putting out there. But thank you for your your time too. I mean, I really, I've appreciated your time, not just today, but caring about how I, you know, grow this platform and the things that I talk about. You've just been invaluable, really. No, and thank you, seriously. Just the, the conversations that we've had, you're you're being so candid and sharing your experience with everybody, I think is so critical because it's so easy to look at someone like you and say, oh, well, she must have just always been rich. Like, what does she know? Da, 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 da. And it was like, no, actually, you were raised squarely middle class and you had to pay for school. And you also, yeah, even if you had money at a moment, you then had to completely rebuild. And I think that that is what makes you such a great leader in this space because you've seen it all, right? And, and you can really help somebody 
give them the advice that they need for their own circumstance. Because not all advice fits all people. So that's what's been really special about you is you really listen to me. And based on all of my circumstances, you say, okay, listen, for you to get a Chanel bag or to whatever, you know, for your savings, for your investment, for your future at your age, based on this information, these are my recommendations. That's why it's been so, so immensely valuable. And I'm, I'm forever grateful that we've had this relationship because I'm confident about my future because of it completely. I feel completely confident that no matter what happens, I'll be able to get to the other side strategically, thoughtfully, and in a good, you know, good financial position. So thank you sincerely. Well, it's been my pleasure. And we both agree that we're both very excited for your future because I, I never know what's going to happen next with this, with this woman, but I know it's going to be good. So, you know, look, guys, if you want to get some advice about what to do about your particular situation, like I said earlier, I'd love to have you on a podcast and we could work through your situation and see if I have some good strategies to help you move ahead. Or if you don't want to do it through a podcast, you can go on fiscalfeminist.com and you can book a consultation and we can do it that way. But I'm available. Read the book, The Fiscal Feminist, The Financial Wake-Up Call for Women. It will help you solve some problems and it's a roadmap, which, you know, it approaches everything from career advice to personal finance, to investment strategy, to relationships and money, trying to make it as comprehensive as possible. So you all have a lot of information out there that you can tap into. Be proactive. Everything is possible. Everything and anything is possible if you put your mind to it. And I think Shifta Khalili is an example of that. So thank you so much for your time today. And everybody, until next time, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for listening today to the Fiscal Feminist Podcast. Please take a minute to subscribe to the podcast on your preferred podcast platform. And I would really appreciate if you could also rate and review it. You can also find me on Instagram and TikTok at The Fiscal Feminist or check out the website FiscalFeminist.com. Ignorance is not bliss. As women, burying our heads in the sand when it comes to our money has dire consequences. But yet, so many of us have employed this detrimental strategy. After over two decades of experience, I've discovered that women face a twofold crisis of competence and confidence regarding how they approach and handle finances. It's time to close that gap. I wrote The Fiscal Feminist, a financial wake-up call for women to teach women how to take charge of their money and control their financial destinies. This book will help you achieve financial literacy, establish the right tools and rules for managing your money and relationships, and to plan for your future. It's time to gain and maintain financial wellness on your own terms. Head to FiscalFeminist.com to order your copy today.